Okay, good morning. So yes, I've had a bit of a journey in every nation. I joined in 2010 as part of the Linwood congregation, and three years later, Hansi asked me to, to come to South Downs, which I did. And then three years later, uh, God moved me back to Linwood. And I'm very glad that I went, because that's where I went with my wife. And uh, we started dating, and inside of 10 months, we had dated, we had gotten married, and we were pregnant. And immediately, Yaku started asking me when I would be obedient and come back to Highfelt, because we were living in Centurion. And God said nothing, so Yaku kept asking. And at one stage, my wife got an opportunity to go to Cape Town, so we were praying about going to Cape Town, CA. And apparently, we weren't praying uh, accurately enough, so we got sent to CA, Centurion Academy. <laughs> so here we are. So Yaku's five years of prayer were, were answered by God. I love being part of this family. Um, I can't see myself moving, although it's in God's hands, but I love the beginning of the year. I hate fasting, just, but I love the beginning of the year where we fast together internationally. 82 countries in unity, fasting together, seeking God, and then praying uh, uh, or preaching the same sermon series, which last year was abide, and this year it is miracles. And I love the idea of miracles, especially because in our African context, it gets twisted. In the African context, it's all about the pastor or the evangelist, the prophet, the apostle or the apostle prophet. These days, it's hyphenated. And it's all about him doing a supposed miracle, but it's all about him and building his church. And he's the guy. Where that is not the case when we look at the Bible, it is, let him be known. It is about Jesus. Miracles were done in the Bible to point to Jesus. The Holy Spirit moves so that it points to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And there are churches that say, but it's not for us today, and I dare to differ. There are accounts of the early church, even 270 years after the time of the disciples, where people were still raised from the dead. And we may not see it in our context, although I'd like to, probably freak me out a little bit, but we still get testimonies in the north of Mozambique people getting raised from the dead. The forests in Mexico, people being raised from the dead. Miracles are still happening today, and it might be the big ones that, like that, but it's, it's people coming to salvation. That is a miracle. Do you understand that something, somebody that was dead becomes alive? It's a miracle. So I love that we're talking about miracles. I love that we're looking at the, the, the gospel according to John. It's not the gospel of John. There's one gospel. It's the gospel of Jesus. But we have four different writers writing their interpretation of events. And so we find different interpretations because they were writing to different people. And they were focusing on different things. And John tells us in his account why he's writing the gospel. And it's about Jesus. He says in John 20 that Jesus did many more miracles in the presence of the disciples that are not written in this book. But he did these, and he wrote about these, so that you, me, you, us, might believe two things. That Jesus is the Christ, he's the anointed one of God, but he's also the son of God. And if you believe that, there's life in his name. It's the purpose of the book of John. 
the purpose of the miracles. It's the, pur- it's the purpose of, of, of us looking at the life of Jesus, looking at what He did, looking at what He said. Jesus is the Christ, and He is the very Son of God. And if we believe, there's life. And not just life when we die for eternity, life that starts now. There's a fullness of life while we are still on earth, while we're still being sanctified. But it's found in both the Christ and the Son of God. And so today we, we are looking at Jesus walking on water. Marina started this series fantastically well by going down the center aisle while we still had one. Uh, dressed in his best black suit with the wedding march, in case you missed that, was, was 100% Marina's. And then Yaku preached on feeding of the 5,000 last week. And so today we're looking at John 6. So we're making note, John 6, verse 16 to 21. That's our key scripture. So you want a page there? Otherwise it's on the board. And John 6 says the following. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, He desired to not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Let's pray quickly. Father, I thank you for building your church. I thank you every person here this morning. I thank you for the word that became flesh and gives us life. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will raise up Jesus this morning from that word so that people might see him and be called to him, that there would be life this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we read this, there's a couple of questions, and there's a big one that you should immediately be thinking of. It says the disciples went down to the sea and got in a boat. Where's Jesus? Isn't it weird in the Gospels that the disciples are doing something, but there's no mention of Jesus? Yes, it is weird. So we need to answer a couple of questions. And here's the great thing about the Gospel accounts. If you can't find it in the one, you can look for it in the other accounts. And so you'll find the same story in Matthew and Mark. You won't find it in Luke. But read the whole of Luke. Go look for it. At least you'll read through a gospel. But if you read the account of Mark and Matthew, it both says the same thing. In Mark it says, immediately he made his disciples get into the boat. Okay, so Jesus made. And go before him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowd, and after having taken leave of them, went up to the mountain to pray. Okay. Well, now there's another question. Who's the crowd that he's talking about? Who has Jesus, who is he sending away? And so we go back to last week, and it's in verse 15. It's the 5,000 that were just fed. And it says, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew to the mountain by himself. Okay, so let's check we clear. So Jesus just fed 5,000 people, or men, not counting women and children, so 10,000 plus probably, just fed them with the loaves and the fish. Something's happening there that is making Jesus step in immediately. There's an urgency to him calling his disciples and sending them away. Okay, so the question is why, again. But he's sending them away and he's sending them over the sea of Galilee to Capernaum. 
Okay, so that was their base. Jesus wasn't welcome in his hometown, so the base of ministry at this stage is Capernaum. So they're getting sent back. Jesus goes up the mountain to pray. The disciples are in the dark, and they're rowing, and a storm comes. And then it says in Mark, in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus walks across the water. Fourth watch. It's between 3 and 6 a.m. in the morning. These guys started out just when it got dark. So these guys have been on the water, in the dark, fighting a storm for nine plus hours. How do you think they're feeling at this stage? Hungry, thirsty, demoralized, wet. What's Jesus doing? For nine plus hours, he's been on the mountain praying. He's spending time with the Father. And it says that he saw them battling the winds and the storm. And so he walks to them. And as he draws near to them, they see him, and it says they were frightened. But he answers with, do not be, it is I. He literally says, I am. Sound familiar? Okay, so what's happening here? The 5,000 people plus were looking to make him king. Why? Because there was a, a prophecy that Moses gave that said that there will be a man from our line that will be a greater Moses. Moses fed the guys in the desert, and these people are seeing Jesus feeding them. And they're making the connection, this is the prophet that Moses was speaking about. But the problem is, they're thinking about this prophet, is the person that's going to be the king, and he's going he's to conquer the Romans, and he's going to feed them, and he's going to heal them, and it's all about them and their comfort. That's why they want to make him king. They can chillax. No, no issues anymore. And Jesus, knowing that this is not why he's called, steps in. Now, you've got to realize that he's immediately putting his disciples out of these conversations. So his disciples are probably also thinking the same thing. And we know they're thinking the same thing because John and James would come to Jesus and say, can we sit at your right-hand side when you become king? They want to be in the power positions. His disciples are thinking the same things as those people. And Jesus is saying, not so with you. Get in the boat and leave. I'll handle this. And he does. But would you know that Jesus knew that they were going to end up in a storm? Being both man and the Son of God. He sends them into the dark. And if you read the Bible, the dark speaks about the absence of Christ throughout the whole Bible. And if you read C, C speaks of chaos throughout the whole Bible. So Jesus is literally commanding them into the darkness and into chaos. How loving does that sound? Does that, does that not work with your theology maybe? Jesus commands his disciples into a place, into darkness, into chaos, into a storm, and then he stays away for nine plus hours. The good thing is, that Jesus now does not stay away from us any longer. Because he's not stuck in one physical place. We're now of the Holy Spirit. 
So never again is someone stuck without God. If you accepted Jesus and the death on the cross and His resurrection, you have Him. He might be quiet, but you have Him. It's like playing hide-and-seek. My daughter's one year old. If I play hide-and-seek with my daughter, I'm literally taking her little blanket and putting it over her head, and where's Daddy? And then she lifts it up, there's Daddy. And as she gets a little older, uh, I put the blanket over her head and I hide behind the couch. And she toddles around the couch and then she finds me. My son is four years old, doesn't work with him anymore. Now I go into my room when I get in the cupboard. And he goes and searches the whole house and, and after a while he starts shouting, uh, where, where are you? And then I kind of beat the cupboard and he, and he finds me. And that's, and that's what Jesus does. As you grow in sanctification, he demands more of you. Okay, so there will be times where he's quiet because he wants you to pursue him. He's playing a bit of hide and seek as a dad would do with his kids. He wants you to seek him. Okay, so Jesus says no to these guys. They get into the rough sea and he comes walking. Now the question is, why are they frightened? Now one thing you should know uh, about all the men, Hebrew men, by the age of five, they were supposed to be able to quote verbatim the first five books of the Bible. Okay, they knew it, all by heart, five years old. My son is three months away from five and that breaks my brain. Okay, they could quote. By the age of eight, the whole Old Testament. Okay, oral tradition. They learned by repeating. So they knew this and they had to be tested. And if they didn't know all of it, they were sent to go do what your father did. So James and John, fishermen, their father's ebony fishermen. So they failed the test. They were sent back. as all the disciples were. But they knew most of the Bible and they would have known all the Psalms because the Psalms were sung at the different feasts. Okay, so they know the Psalms. So there's a Psalm, Psalm 77, and it says the following. It says, when the water saw you, O God, when the water saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightning lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Sounds like the storm they were in. And then it says, your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. The psalm speaks about God. They are on the boat. They just saw the feeding of the 5,000, but the Mark said they didn't understand that miracle because their hearts were hardened. So they'd already forgotten this miracle. They're just focusing on the storm, and Jesus comes walking. They see him walking on the water, and the psalm that they know is now in their heads, and they literally realize that, the, that God himself is walking on the sea towards them. And they are frightened. And I would be too. And we see this in the whole, in the whole Bible when, when, when God shows up, Moses in the bush, he's frightened. Isaiah sees God in his glory in the temple, and he's frightened. There's something about God and his power and his splendor and his holiness that is frightening. And they realize God has come towards them. And I love the response of God right here. And it just literally says, don't be frightened, I am. He answers them with his covenantal name, the name where he, where he, where he gave Jacob and Moses and 
uh, Abraham, that states, I've got you. Doesn't matter what you do, I'll keep the covenant. Doesn't matter what you go through, I'm your protection, Israel. I've got you. We're frightened. Don't be frightened. I am. Don't be frightened. I've got you. And then he says, they invited him into the boat, and immediately the storm was quiet. Now, this is the second time the storm quiets down. The first time, Jesus, being asleep in the boat, is awakened by the disciples, and he commands the waves, and he commands the wind, and they die down. This time, nothing of that is mentioned. Nothing about the waves, nothing about the storm, nothing about the darkness, nothing about the wind. Jesus doesn't command anything. It just says that everything was quiet, they were joyful, and then they were on the other side. They had arrived. Another interesting thing is, as soon as this, these five verses are done, they re they revisit the feeding of the 5,000. That old miracle is unpacked. And then Jesus feeds people again. Never again is this miracle mentioned anywhere. It's never told to the crowd or the, the, the other disciples. It's only the 12. So what is the purpose of these five verses then in our Bible? Because it's not about the storm. It's not even about Jesus walking on water. It is about the Son of God getting in the boat. That's why nothing else is mentioned. And Jesus got in the boat. And then there's another psalm that they would have known, Psalm 107, that says, He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and He brought them to the desired haven. So they realize that there's more to Jesus than just feeding of 5,000 people. Later on, there's a discourse, and it's where Jesus tells the, the greater crowd that they have to eat of his flesh. They have to drink of his blood. He's introducing communion. And people say, this is a harsh word, and most of them leave. And he asked the disciples, will you leave too? And Peter answered, where will we go? You are the Son of God, and you have the words of life. See, between the miracle of 5,000 and the discourse, something happened, and that something that happened was they saw God walking on the water towards them, and he got in the boat, and the storm was quiet. And they saw Jesus for who he was sent to be. Yes, the one that does miracles, the anointed one of Christ but also the very Son of God. They make that connection. But what about us? What about us? We all have storms. We all have darkness. We all have chaos. But here's the great thing. The first time that's mentioned is literally in Genesis 1 verse 1. There was darkness and there was chaos. And the Holy Spirit was hovering, waiting to do something. The power of God was there in the darkness, in the chaos, waiting to bring change. 
And so it was here, in the darkness, in the chaos, the Holy Spirit was waiting and it empowered Jesus to walk on the water supernaturally and then calm the storm. That was the power of God that is the Holy Spirit. And what does He do? He proves to them, let Him be known, this Jesus that you wanted to make king because He can give you bread and heal you is more than that. He's the Son of God and He's here to give you life, not just lunch. But we all go through storms. My wife and I bought into a business. A couple hundred thousand bucks. Six weeks later, we went into lockdown. And we were in a storm. We lost all that money in the storm. Last year, April, one of our good friends got diagnosed with a blood clot. Came to midstream, walked in with a blood clot, walked out with stage 4 colon cancer. Went in to have it cut out. And she died. From the diagnosis of a blood clot to death, six weeks. And we're in a storm. And then a couple of months later, another friend of ours gets diagnosed with breast cancer. She gets treated. She's clean, she comes for a checkup, and she has brain cancer. They cut it out, and a couple of weeks later, she's dead. We buried her out of this hall a couple of weeks ago, and we're in a storm. On Thursday night, my neighbor had to rush to the hospital because he's, he's three-year-old, was sick, and the oxygen dropped to 74%. That's life-threatening. Only to find out yesterday that she has rhinovirus, A, B, and C, influenza, and RSV. And then we found out that the neighbors behind us, on Friday night, we had a big storm. We had a couple of lightning strikes. My wife even came to me. I was prepping. She says, are we okay? I said, yes, we're okay. The kids are still sleeping. Only to hear yesterday that one of those lightning strikes had hit the people behind us, had hit the satellite dish. Yes, DSTV is bad for you. Hits the satellite dish, blows the inverters, all the solar, blows the TVs, the exercise equipment, and that's at half past 11. And then at 2, because of the current that went through, the geezer bursts. Thank God it misses the kid as the warm water comes through the ceiling. But now all the vinyl got into the vinyl, all the vinyl needs to go, all the ceiling panels in the whole house is flooded, all they have to go. Now they're in the middle of a storm. See, sometimes we're in the storm, or while we're in the storm, the people around us are in storms. Then it's people we're praying for, people we're trusting for. Now, I don't know what your storm is. Maybe you lost your job. Maybe you, you better get pregnant, you had a miscarriage. You got divorced. I don't know what that is. But we all have storms. But I want to tell you today, it's not about your storm. Your storm has one purpose, and one purpose only, and it's to access your faith, to grow your faith, and point you to Jesus. That's why we have storms. It is about making Him known. Because while you're in the storm, while you're in the darkness and the chaos, and you, and you feel like Jesus isn't hearing you, 
the Holy Spirit is there and is waiting to move on your behalf. But moving on your behalf has one purpose, and it's making Him be known. He wants to meet your need. He wants to heal. He wants to do all of that, and sometimes He chooses not to. And then we don't understand. There's a saying that the, the safest place to be is in the perfect will of God. Yes or no? If, you're, if you have an eternity perspective, yes. Safest place to be. Because that's where we're going. But if it's a temporal perspective, it's the worst place you could possibly be. Because it is going to be tough. You are going to face storms. And even if they're not personal, you will be facing storms in your very belief in Christ Jesus. In case you didn't know, we as a church, as a leadership, are fighting with other churches at the moment so that we can keep one privilege, and that is to spread the gospel. They want to make it illegal for you to speak to someone about Jesus. That's the government. And the government Jesus gave us. We're going against the government. Pray for them. That's Jesus' command. But we are in storms, whether you choose to be or not, whether it's personal or not, you will be in storms. And the people around you will be in storms. But Jesus. But Jesus. He gets in the boat. Jesus chooses to meet us in the storm, in the darkness and the chaos, as the light, as the truth, to calm the storm, but he doesn't do it by projecting himself. He just gets in the boat. And then it says they arrived at the destination. Now, theologians have a difference of opinion whether that's another miracle, instantaneous, or if they were so overjoyed that they didn't realize that they were finishing their journey. And honestly, I don't care. I don't think it matters. Because I believe that God can immediately bring us out of the storm. Or He can take us through a process of taking us out of the storm. But the point is, Jesus gets in the boat. So how do we get Jesus in the boat? Well, the first thing is, you need to accept that He's both the Christ and the Son of God. You have to. And then if you are saved and in Christ Jesus, there's easy ways to see if Jesus is in the boat. By spending time with Him. Even if you feel like you don't hear Him speak, are you spending time with Him? Because even if He is quiet, He's the living Word. Are you spending time with Jesus? Are you praying? Because if you're not praying, how are you accessing the very God that is hovering and waiting to move on your behalf? Are you praying? Are you spending time? And then where's your heart at? Are you asking questions? Or are you questioning God? Because the one... He's still seeing him as Lord, and he's open to us asking questions because we don't understand. My wife and I have got a lot of questions. Why have we buried two ladies 
one with two teenagers, one with two toddlers. We don't understand. So we ask God. He might choose not to answer. Or give us his reasons. His reasons are bigger than, than us. We have to accept that. But questioning God, not asking God questions, questioning God is questioning the very essence of who he is, his Christness, his, his very lordship. And that is rebellion. So how's your heart with Jesus as you go through storms? So this morning I want to give two opportunities. The first one is I want to ask you to close your eyes as if you've been in church, you know this. This is going to happen, so respect the people that haven't been here. Just close your eyes. I want to ask if you haven't received Jesus as Lord and Savior. If you've never made that choice, and it's an active choice, it's not growing up in church, or your friends are here, or your family's in church, it's you making the decision, as Jesus told Nicodemus, you need to be reborn again. If you've never done that, just quickly raise your hand. Great. Amen. So none of you have an excuse to get Jesus in the boat. Okay? Now I want to ask the following. If you are in a storm right now, I want to ask you to stand. Activate your faith. Show some humility and stand. You're either in a storm, getting out of a storm, or looking at the next storm, but somewhere there will be storms. Thank you for those standing They have the courage to stand up. So here's what I want those to do that are not standing. I want you to stand. I want you to gather around these people. Okay, and I want the people that have stood now to have the courage just to tell these people what your need is. Don't have to color it in. Don't have to be heavy, vulnerable, but just tell them, I'm trusting for a person's salvation. I'm trusting for financial need. I'm trusting for healing. What are you trusting God for as the Son of God? And then I want the people around you to pray for you in faith. All of you just said that you know that Jesus is the Christ and you know that He is the Son of God, which means that you know that He's got the power to listen to our prayers and answer. Let us step into faith. Let's pray for people.